Hi, this is Paul, and you're listening to a special mini session from our Next Up event that we hosted during the Arroyo Seco Weekend Music Festival in Pasadena, California. In this episode, we speak with Ali Jivanji and Poonam Sharma of LA's LOC Architects. Our conversation focuses on their practice with a focus on their furniture line, installation work, and the projects that they did for Coachella and Burning Man. So I'm here with Ali Jivanji and Poonam Sharma, good friends of mine for many years. Great to have you on on the show. Hi, Thank Paul. you for having us, Paul. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having us. So, so you run a architecture firm and now a furniture company. Uh, let's start out with the architecture firm. It's LOC. Maybe we can start out with. Uh, this. I know there's an interesting story behind the the name LOC. So the name is is sort of a a triple entendre. When clients hire us to do to work on them with projects. We are, we act as the line of control, meaning that everything, the buck, so to speak, stops with us. And the way we exercise that control is by drawing lines. And thirdly, uh, Punam is of Indian descent and I am of Pakistani descent. And if you look at a map of Kashmir, you don't see an international boundary. You see a dashed line going down the middle of it called the line of control. Wow. So Pakistani and an Indian, and it's uh, it's gone smoothly so far, amazingly. Wow. So um, tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you're working on. So we like to uh, keep ourselves engaged in various types of projects, different scales. We're working on several multifamily projects in Santa Monica and West Hollywood. We've done work with schools. We're doing a creative office space in Seattle. We are also um, doing lots of single family work. So we try to keep it as broad as possible so that the different types of work can kind of, for, uh, what's the word, uh, pollinate other types. So in addition to all of this um, kind of permanent static architecture work that you do, you've also done a number of temporary projects, movable projects. Uh, you did a pavilion for, along with a bunch of other designers, for uh, the 2013 Coachella, Sidewalks End. Can you talk a little bit about that and, uh, and what it was like to design something for a big music festival like we're in right now? So that, that was kind of an interesting process. I mean, the, that story really starts a long time ago with my experience at Burning Man where I started a camp and ran that for many years. That started way back in uh, the early like, days. This, of is, Man, this right? is in the nineties. Yeah. And then, um, through that I had a network of, of makers and designers and thinkers, one of whom got the commission to do the Coachella piece. But one of the things that I personally took from my experience at Burning Man is that the thing that people come to festivals for is the experience. And the thing you do when you create a camp or you create, you do a project at a festival is you're really creating an experience. And in that sense, the architecture is just a means by which to create and deliver that experience. And so what we set out to do at Coachella was say, how can we, what kind of experience do we want to give to the festival goer there? And so that project was really inspired by Dolores Park, which is a park in the Mission in San Francisco. It's a big sloping grass hill. It just draws lots of people on a beautiful day. So we created a sloping AstroTurf Hill Coachella, a place to sit, a place to stand, and it ends up 12 feet in the air. You can walk up to the top and look out. And another, another big part of that process was that we made that, we built that ourselves. It was a hands-on making process, which is something that's always been very meaningful to me as a, just as a designer and connects you to your work in a sort of 
powerful way. So that's that's uh, an exception to the rule generally with the projects like like what we're in right now and the project that you did where you submit the designs and, and there are staff at the festival that are in charge of building it. So that you, you took a different approach than, than what's typical. Right. And I, I would say, Puna, wouldn't you say isn't that, well, for instance, with our installation 435L at the Architecture and Design Museum, we took a similar approach, wouldn't you say? Well, that, that was um, sort of defined by that uh, project, is that that was uh, at the Architecture and Design Museum. We were given um, a spot in the gallery and asked to create an installation. I think on that one, we also, yeah, we took that same approach, whereby we came up with the idea, we collected the materials, and we did the installation on site. And with that project, as I recall you, uh, one of the challenges was that you had a very limited budget. Well, there was actually no budget. So basically, we were told to design something that was site-specific, and there was no budget. And so we had to problem-solve how to make something out of nothing. So that project was interesting because we were going to the wine tasting events at Barnsdale Park. And uh, part of the ticket was that you got a glass. It was a Govino um, molded plastic glass. And they were then thrown away. And we thought, okay, if we collect enough of these, maybe there's something that we can do with it. So we started going to, you know, we talked to the organizers and we set up bins for people to put their glasses in. We washed them all. Poonam has kindly posted a photo of me washing the glasses on our Instagram feed. Did, you, did we, you even put them into a shopping cart and walk them all the way to the A&D Museum? We took them in trash bags. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we, you know, so that was very much about how to activate that space, that project. So it wasn't just creating something. We, we uh, put lighting in there. We also uh, installed a motion detector. So the interesting thing about that is that the, the glasses, they look like glass. So the whole installation appears to be very heavy. But we installed a motion detector. So when somebody approaches the installation, the, uh, a fan would turn on that would start shaking all of the glasses. So it became apparent that it was actually very light. Um, so it was sort of this sort of interactive. And it ended up, at the opening of that um, show, it ended up becoming a sort of gathering space. And I think that's sort of the theme in these temporary structures is, is how do you facilitate a gathering space? So it's not just about the object, it's about the experience. And so you employed a, a similar strategy for the LA Design Festival last year or, or a couple of years yes, ago? Yes, we were approached by the LA Design Festival and they, uh, we were uh, asked to kind of replicate that project. And the interesting difference with that was that A plus D uh, installation was in an interior and this uh, one in Chinatown was outside. So it was a different, a different scale. So it ended up being a very different thing, even though the, the idea was the same. Well, I, I think the interesting uh, connection between those projects is that when we did the ins installation at A plus D Museum, the night of the opening, a gentleman who works for Govino, what was he, a product designer or marketing? He was marketing. He was a marketing guy for Govino, was riding his bicycle past the A plus D Museum and looked in and said, that can't be our glasses. And he walked in and he started talking to us and we exchanged information. And so we got in touch with them and they were very excited by that. So then a couple of years later, when the LA Design Festival thing came up, this time we were able to contact them directly and get a, yeah, pal they, they get a pallet of, of glasses delivered. So no washing now. No, no washing. <laughs> and we, we still have a pretty good, a big, a big box in our basement. For the next installation. And then, I mean, in, in terms of temporary installations, we also did, we were approached by um, the block which was uh, the 
reimagining of a closed mall on 7th and Figueroa, downtown LA. And so they wanted to create some sort of hype about their upcoming project while they were under construction, before they started construction. And so we designed a series of pop-up, we call them blocks, that were... um, three different mirrored cubes that each would open in a different way. One facilitated a DJ booth, one was a retail uh, shop, and one was a coffee shop. And so that's I, and that's not sort of a... But the interesting thing about that was that they uh, showcased them for the Ciclavia, which was going by that day. So it was, and it, it beca- was a ended, festival thing at that time. So it ended up becoming a, you know, an attractor. People were l- looking at themselves in the mirrored um, services, taking pictures. So it became kind of a gathering place even though it wasn't designed as such. Yeah, I, I really like those projects. It's, it's uh, We'll have to include uh, photos of, of those blocks on uh, the show notes for this online, just how they're mirrored and there's such a mystery and they unfold and, and turn mm-hmm. into different uh, types of uh, functions. It's very cool. I'd like to jump back to your time at Burning Man. I, I know that your that was a pretty um, substantial or uh, uh, an important phase of your life, as I recall. I would say that is a formative experience for me, yes. Do you feel like the... Because you would build uh, art cars and you had a really... Did you... You did an art car, didn't you? Or, or was We that did a Travis? couple of art cars, yeah. yes. But then you had a your pinhole cam uh, camera. In, uh, right, that was the driving element of the whole can thing. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? So um, this is, you know, 1999 now. I got a crew together and we said, let's go to Burning Man. But of course, we have to do a... Pro- we let's do a project. What's our project going to be? And I had always been sort of uh, fascinated by photography and pinhole cameras in particular. And so we created this idea of creating a pinhole photo studio where we would create a big plywood box in which we would take pinhole photographs the size of a poster. And in that box was a darkroom as well. And the camp then became a photo studio where people come by for portraits. We would bring uh, our cars would come by for portraits. Sergey Brin came by for a portrait um, there was a, and it, and it, but you know, so this was, you know, four of us started this in 1999. The last year I did it, 2003, it was, I think about 75 people, two art cars, a pinhole camera, et cetera, et cetera. It was, a uh, it turned into a, a, a major production. Do you feel like events like Burning Man have contributed to this kind of emergence of, uh, festival design, fe- uh, temporary architecture? It seems like a movement that's grown a lot. It does. I mean, I think, I mean, how, how would you see it in the larger context, Punam? Cause it's sort of, it's sort of festivals are filling. Well, I think there's also, because the festival has, you know, various functions. And, you know, the first is obviously the driver is music. But then I think maybe there's a sort of human desire for spectacle and the ability to interact with with things that you're not just a passive consumer of music or merchandise or or consumable, you know, drinks and food, that the, the art installation provides an opportunity for people to have an interactive experience that that differentiates that festival from another festival. Well, I mean, I think I think it goes back to an idea, and I'm not sure where the idea comes from, but the idea of carnival, which in like ancient in ancient Europe, carnival was this was this one day when all of so all social rules were kind of off, and peasants could talk to lords or what you know, and so and the same I think goes at Burning Man in particular, and has trickled down into Coachella and some other festivals that it's this environment where all the social norms no longer apply and people are free to express themselves. And that expression happens on many, many levels. 
whether it's clothes, whether it's architecture, whether it's music. And so festival architecture in that way becomes this, this, this sort of avenue for architecture to express itself outside of the constraints of societal norms or ca- building codes, or, building codes or, or the requirements of capital, et cetera, et cetera. And for us, what's that, what, what that's meant for us and why we've always been attracted to that kind of work is by removing all of those elements, it allows us to sort of investigate and understand ideas in a more pure fashion. And, you know, and, and being able to do that understand allows us to better understand our work and what drives us. And then it allows us to then bring that back around to our architecture that operates within the normal kind of constraints of the world. And so in that way, you know, we've brought up, we talked about the idea of experience repeatedly in this process, this, in this talk. And this work and the festival work and, and temporary work has really taught us that experience, but really experience is one thing, but it's really the work we do as, as designers is really, it's really about people. And at the end of the day, it's about people. It's not about objects. It's not about forms. It's not about pictures. It's about people. And what, what is the thing, what is the one thing that we can give to people as architects is experience. And that to us takes precedent above the object, above everything else in the work we do. And so the work you do at festivals and with temporary pieces, it's kind of like a, a chance to experiment. It's like a laboratory for, for looking at these issues and how you can apply those to your to your larger architecture projects. Absolutely. Well, I think the limitation with architecture doing a project in the, the traditional fashion is the time frame that is required to produce a project. And so a temporary uh, structure gives you the ability to think quickly, test out ideas, knowing that it's a temporary building or temporary construction that is not going to have to, you know, stand for a long time. And also the idea of it not having to provide habitation. There's no, there's no program and having no program really liberates you. So before we uh, finish up, I, I want to talk a little bit about your new furniture line, Ply. Tell us about that. How did that come about? I know it's a collaboration, right, with a with a furniture maker. So I think the the ply thing is interesting because we um, started making Ali in particular started making a lot of pieces at the time of the uh, economic recession. So he had a few pieces before, but it was a really great way to spend time and. Um, you know, 2008, 2009, Ali started making a lot of pieces. We had them in our in our place in Chinatown, and everybody would come by and say, "Oh, these are great!" You know. And when we sold our, our apartment, the owner, the new owner, bought every single piece of furniture. And so, can we say who that was? Considering you we're can say who it was, it was Zach Delarocha yeah. from uh, and Rage Against the Machine. So we moved out with nothing, but we had a little bit of a budget to remake everything. But we had no time to 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 make the furniture, and so we found a furniture maker, uh, Chris Lumpkin, who uh, recreated all the pieces for us. And then from that, we we got the idea to start a business, and that's sort of grown. Yeah, and, and furniture, it's not the it's not the easiest business, but it's been kind of, it's been really interesting for us because it sort of expands our practice into a into a sort of a different a different mode of thinking and it exposes us to a different sort of group of groups of people the design the design in a different on a different level we just did a, a collaboration recently with a group called block shop textiles that import textiles from india hand hand printed textiles that they design in, in and we did a debut with them and we showed it at a fair a few weeks ago and now all of a sudden it sort of opens up the way we think about our design and so it's still it's sort of separate from our architecture but again these things 
they they sort of pollinate each other. So there's already been two levels of uh, collaboration then with with Ply. Do you see more collaboration happening further develop the furniture line? I mean, I mean collaboration is is sort of one of the joys of working as a designer. Is finding good people to work with and having them take your ideas further and you take their ideas further. So we are all we are always open to that and looking for that. But you know, an interesting way that Ply and LOC kind of merged was a very small project that we did for Crossroads School in Santa Monica. The uh, the founder of the school donated. We had done some work for them. We did a master plan. We did a humanities building. But they approached us because the founder of the school donated his poetry collection to the school, and so they needed to house it within the existing library. But they didn't have a good space for. It. They wanted to make it a cozy, warm space where the students would have access to his books. They could write poetry. They could do poetry readings. And so we um, got this room in the library. It had no windows. It was just unused space. And so we um, clad all the walls in plywood. We inset the bookshelves, and we um, used the ply cubes in there. So that's like one time where I feel like it was really, you know, it was an LOC project, but it was really about the sort of details that we do in ply um, that was a really great great for us to sort of have those two come together. Very cool. So there's architectural applications to to the furniture. That's great. Well, thank you guys so much for coming by and talking with me. Thanks, Paul. That was fun. Thank Thank you, Arconect. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this mini session. For more information about this show and other shows from this series, check out Arconect.com. I'd like to thank all of our guests, especially Jimenez Lai and Joanna Grant of Bureau Spectacular for creating the beautiful structure for this event. I'd also like to express our gratitude to Golden Voice, especially Rafi Lair, for encouraging a public discussion about architecture and urban design and for including us in this amazing inaugural event.